Hello and welcome to the Fast Break Podcast. This is Amon Kidwai. I'm joined by Patrick Martin and Dan Madigan. The Fast Break Podcast is a production of the Fast Break Newsletter, a sub, uh, not on Substack newsletter that you should all subscribe to. We're going in-depth on UConn men's basketball. Since the Huskies started Big East play, they opened it up with a rough loss at Seton Hall. That loss also included an injury to Donovan Klingon which was suboptimal for the team. However, since then, they have mounted three straight wins over St. John's, DePaul, and most recently beating Butler in a gutsy come-from-behind fashion at Hinkle Fieldhouse. Patrick, you were at the game. How was Hinkle Fieldhouse? How was Butler? Man, Hinkle Fieldhouse rips. That place is a basketball junky heaven as far as the history behind it with Hoosiers and and just the 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 setup of it is so unique and I'm not saying I've been to a you know a ton of other areas but like I do you know we know like the good ones in the blue blood arenas it's so deep with that barn on on the one side of the court you have kind of like two different levels uh, from the baseline. So you have like the student section and then above that you have like more of like kind of like the regular fans. So with like the court stepped up, it feels like you just have like, it's coming at you from all sides. And yeah, when, when it gets loud there, it gets, it gets rowdy and credit to Butler fans for the first half. I mean, they really brought the ruckus and it it, it definitely, I think, rattled UConn in the beginning you know we'll talk about the set you know the second half adjustments that were made but it was it was something and they love to get on Dan Hurley because every time Dan Hurley goes out of ref they'll start booing him um so like you know the the shtick you know the Butler fans played along with all that and yeah I mean it was a great crowd great atmosphere for a basketball game Hurley even said post game of like this like obviously he doesn't know but like this felt like a really fun game that i imagine people were watching and enjoying um the amenities were solid not the best pizza but what what can you expect from butler like in indianapolis we're not we're not going to go too deep into that um but you know nice and clean organized everyone's friendly i got in i got out so yeah kudos to all of like the you know the athletic department staff there at butler it was it was a great kind of like one day little trek that definitely checked off a, a bucket list for me. Nice. I mean, yeah, I, I would say credit to the fans. They were the, everyone who goes to that part of the country seems to report uh, just a nicer experience overall. But I will say we did see even on TV, the fans leaving kind of early. Uh, what say you about that, Patrick? What did that look like from the inside? Really weird because I'm I'm deep in my Big J process. I'm I'm looking up all the stats and everything, and and I'm kind of seeing guys leave on my peripherals, and I'm not even really looking at the score. And I'm like, oh, that must be like an eight point game with thirty seconds left, like something that's like statistically final. And they inbound the ball, and Butler goes down and gets a quick two, and it's like a four point game with like thirty seconds left. And so it went for like it. My whole opinion about like indiana the state of indiana basketball fans are like okay it's indiana you know larry bird and the hoosiers and stuff you know they're knowledgeable every kid in indiana can shoot man i thought you all knew ball more than that i'm disappointed 
I'm not mad. I'm just disappointed. You, you all, you know, you have Brad Stevens, you know, you're this like, oh, we're basketball purists over here. And you're leaving with, you know, 30, 40 seconds left in a, it's a two possession game. What are we doing here? And, 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 and there's not a lot of traffic issues here that, you know, we're not going to talk. We're not, this isn't a traffic talk here, but, um, yeah, really bizarre because, I just thought Butler fans were better than that. So I I would love some apologies from the fan base. If they could um, drop those in to, to our website, that would be great. Yeah. Uh, Butler fans are probably purists about something, uh, but that thing is not basketball uh, very clearly. Uh, but yeah, look, good win for the Huskies. And you, you got to say they've been without clinging for three games something that kind of no matter the opponent, something that you're worried about. Um, just on an overall level, looking at these these three wins, I mean, you know, the St. John's game, fairly close as well. DePaul, they took care of business. Butler, a game where they were losing for a lot of the way, came back and won. Uh, just overall, how do you think, how do you think the Huskies are doing adjusting without clinging? I kind of think the biggest, like most obvious loss where we see Klingon is on defense. It just changes the whole defensive structure. Samson Johnson is not a bad, uh, you know, shot blocker. He's pretty bad one-on-one and that's what leads to a lot of his foul trouble, trouble issues. But um, we've seen the charts. I think, uh, you know, we don't need to get into too much like analytics detail, but it's just even visible with the eye test too. Like when he is on the floor, when Klingon is on the floor, opposing guards opposing bigs are not going into the paint they're not getting anywhere near the paint and that allows the perimeter defenders the Tristan Newton Stefan Castles Cam Spencers to be a lot more aggressive um and I think Hurley you know it seems like Klingon is going to come back and be back pretty soon so I don't think Hurley is trying to change that philosophy too much even with Johnson there uh and you're seeing the defense get gashed a little bit because uh, guys are selling out a little bit more and, and the rim is open uh, or more open than it was with, with Kling in there. So it makes it tough. Um, obviously he's an asset on the offensive end too. He's an incredible rebounder. Um, I know folks have kind of complained about lack of like a post move arsenal, but it's, it's not a big issue, especially with what he needs to do in this offense. But yeah, I mean, just what happens when you lose one of your best players, right? The team gets a little bit worse, but um Credit to Hurley, credit to the team for making the adjustments necessary on Friday night to um, overcome that seven-point deficit at halftime and, and squeak out a win. Um, it made it just a really fun game top to bottom. That was like one of the more like fun games that I've watched, I think, this year that UConn's played, I think. So, um, yeah, it just it's hard with clinging out. I think the team is doing everything it can to kind of make up for um, you know, him being out with Caravan at the five, Johnson playing extended minutes. I thought Singari played pretty well for like the, you know, 90 seconds, two minutes that uh, he was asked to step in and play. Um, so they're doing everything they can, but this is definitely a worse team without Klingon, uh, and the metrics kind of back that up too. Can confirm that there is no boot present on either foot. Um, no type of like, at least outwardly visible orthopedic, you know, kind of like lifts or anything. Um, I, I I, I, I want to like think about this more, but he walks like incredibly like pigeon toed. I don't know if that's like, it's something that he's doing now because of the foot or he was always, I'll have to like go back and no, I'm not going to go back and look at Donovan Klingon's foot strides. That's, 
that's a bridge too far. But um, so like, yeah, I, I think he's getting close. Dude, it's <laughs> he does not stop moving on the bench. Like, dude, he's getting up every single time. Great teammate. You know, he's one of the boys on there. He's one, you know, part of the bench mob. But goddamn, especially when there's like, you know, the, the court is is elevated from where the bench is by like, you know, six inches or so. He's standing up every single fucking time. You know, every time there's a play, you know, when Cam Spencer got that offensive rebound, I you know, we have the video. You can post it on our socials. He's running out there like, dude. Dude, for the love of God, please be careful. Um, but you know, I, I I think he's coming back soon, like Madigan said. And the only the other thing I'll say about Samson Johnson is noticing it live. He is an incredible rim protector from the weak side. Like if he's, but if he has to, like kind of like on a, like pick and roll or any type of something in isolation, like you said, Madigan one-on-one, he really struggles. Like, when do I get aggressive? When do I kind of drop off? I think he's so focused on his man, which again could be his scout of like, just stick with your man and seal him off. Um, And then, you know, in that sense, it's the gang rebounding that's not doing well, but he, he doesn't have the rim protection that Klingon has just by like standing there. Samson Johnson has to like react to a play and go to it. And that's when he had his two blocks yesterday, and that's where he's been effective. Um, but again, that's that's fine. You know, that's not what he's supposed to do. You know, he's not supposed to transform into this dude. He's still playing meaningful minutes. You know, think about how energetic and active he looked against Texas. He was all over the court. That was you know that was his first minutes. He's you know finally breaking out. Now he's playing that level consistently. Your fitness and your wind is going to kind of level off a little bit, and you can tell. Like he he was gassed a couple of times, and that's no knock on him. That's just like that's college basketball on the road. Like you're going to be tired. So you know, kudos to Hurley for finding the small ball stuff, which you know I'm hyped to get into here a little bit. I know Madigan's a big small ball guy. Um, you and Alex Caravan can probably talk about that for days. Um, but yeah, no, I mean, they're, 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 they went from a team that would beat the shit out of everybody with Donovan Klingon to like a really good team that can, you know, beat someone, but kind of like struggled doing it a little bit. Yeah. I think the biggest thing with, uh, this Butler matchup too, for Samson is like those bigs were, were pretty talented. I was pretty impressed. Like that guy, Andre screen, um, just this, you know, seven footer, two fifty, experienced senior big man, uh, that freshman Kapke was pretty good in in limited minutes too so it's a tough matchup like he's not going to be able to bang with these physical bigs like Klingon maybe could um so you're right it probably is some some of it is just on the scout Patrick but um it is frustrating too because you see the athleticism you see the speed and you know he may not be bigger than a lot of these guys but nobody's going by him you know like he, he has the length he has the size he has the athleticism and he just plays super tough and physical when I don't think he needs to when he's such a good uh, reactive blocker. Like you said, like you can kind of let guys go by you a little bit uh, if you're out on the block or, or extended block and uh, try and pin it on the board or whatever. So and that's that's just experience. That's yeah. just knowing of like, oh, I can I can go get that. Um, and who knows? Maybe he you know he trusts his abilities a little bit more in a month. Yeah, and it, the instincts are are so good too. Like, and I just hand up did not think he could be this level player. Even he just looked lost a lot when we saw him on the court as a freshman. And um, he's like on rebounds on blocks, weak side blocks that you said, like he's in the right place. And sometimes it's a matter of just not, re- you know, catching the ball or, or someone else in a better position, but he's 
following the ball well and, and doing the right stuff, I think he's going to improve rapidly going forward. And we've seen it with the growth that Hassan Diara solo ball have had, like this extended playing time, uh, you know, when they come back to their regular roles, when's clinging his back, the level that they're playing at kind of stays and it gets better because they're playing limited minutes. So it'll be something to watch going forward. Yeah, I mean, we saw him kind of blow by people a little bit offensively, which I think is the very exciting thing that he brings to the table, uh, especially with his size. And we saw it really quickly in the Butler game. I think all three of his baskets were in the first handful of minutes. Uh, He looked amazing. (laughs) He looked amazing in the early part of that game before foul trouble set him off. So that's obviously going to be the key for him is to avoid that foul trouble because as long as he stays on the floor, I do think he can be impactful. Well, and in a lot of those fouls, a lot, like two of those fouls weren't his fault because like we were saying, you know, Hurley hasn't really adjusted their defensive philosophy. They still have, ball, you know, guys right up in on them. You know, the ball pressure is still dialed up even without Klingon. So there are a lot of times it was just like turnstile with people going at the rim with him. And like, what is he supposed to do when you have guys attacking downhill and you're just sitting there in the paint? Like he's, you know, he, it just, the herky jerky movements there, like he, that a lot of that isn't his fault. It's like, Hey man, like, and I saw him a couple of times, like after the play, like get together and you can see them talking of like, Hey, like you need to kind of push him here, push him there. Um, and not just have it be like open season in the lane. So, you know, it's a little bit of like over eagerness, but a lot of times he's just like the victim of a tough circumstance there. And that's kind of like what Hurley was implying post game of like, yeah, man, like, you know, it's just like, he kind of like that had to happen. Like he had to get a couple fouls because that's how it was. And you know, that opted for the small ball. Yeah. So with, with the fouls uh, that he had, and even just in general, I think we've seen a couple of things from UConn, one of those is a little bit more tempo. I think we're seeing them push that up a little bit uh, for a variety of reasons, including personnel. Now, I think they're passing a little bit better. Uh, maybe Again, maybe as a result of the increased and different strategy and personnel that they're using. We've seen that uh, assist-to-made baskets ratio go up. Obviously, they're trying to make up somehow for the rebounding and defense that Klingon brought to the table. Um, but... One piece of the solution that has been working in this time without Klingon is this this smaller lineup. We've seen Caravan at the five, and really the Huskies thrive by creating mismatches and spacing out opposing defenses. Uh, obviously, I, I mean, against DePaul, you don't want to read too much into what goes on in that result, but I think even in other games now, we've seen some success here it's been a little bit under duress under you know circumstances where it's needed but how have you guys felt about this this new wrinkle to to the huskies attack let madigan cook here i i'm a big fan i mean it, patrick's right i i think they have the exact personnel for this to really work uh and it starts with the guards um every single guard you know I, we haven't seen a lot of solo ball i guess but every single guard is really just an incredible rebounder on both sides and when they can crash the boards as hard, it makes it a lot easier to, you know, have a six foot eight, six foot seven center uh, going up against guys like Andre Screen, who's seven one or or whatever. So, um, they just have the type of personnel where this really works. Um, Stefan Castle coming back and emerging, and like maybe Sneaky being the best player on this UConn team helps a lot too. Like 
I, I just am so impressed with him and uh, he's able to do so many things. I wrote this in our takeaways piece, but he's kind of stepped into that Andre Jackson role uh, and he's just better offensively than Andre Jackson really ever was. Uh, he, he might not be the exact type of defender, but the way he crashes the boards, the way he hustles, the energy that he brings for um, so many minutes each and every night makes it easy. Um, they have guys that can guard multiple positions. Newton is a pretty solid defender when he wants to be. Um, and Caravan has had his moments. There's a certain type of guy that can really tear him up, like we've seen with Kadari Richmond or, or Telfort um, Friday night. But uh, they're able to switch and, and be smart defensively. Cam Spencer's made some good strides, I think. Um, and they can all shoot other other than Castle and Diara to a degree. Uh, but they've kind of shot the ball really well the past few games, too. If you stretch the floor out, space it out, um, like that Warriors small ball lineup of death lineup, um, it puts so much pressure on the opposing defenses. And when everyone is crashing the boards and you really have to box out everyone, otherwise Tristan Newton or Steph Castle or Hassan Diara is picking up a rebound, um, it makes it a huge problem. So they have the personnel for it. I don't think it's their best lineup, obviously. Like this team is just better when Klingon is on the floor, but um, it's an interesting look. Uh, I'm kind of excited to see when they play like Villanova. Villanova's always done stuff like this, right? They're like the best at it or like the gold gold standard in college basketball for doing this. Um, and they had that personnel again this year under Kyle Neptune. So that'll be a really fun game to watch because I think it could just be, even if Klingon is back, I don't think he'll be fully, you know, have his win back. So it could be small ball lineups for 25, 30 minutes. Uh, and Klingon could be that like change of pace guy that he was last year and really swing the game. But um, yeah, it's just been a lot of fun. It's just great basketball to watch and they have the personnel to do it. So I think they should let it ride as long as they can. I think the two weeks off or not two weeks off, but like the two week period between St. John's when we saw like a little bit of small ball and it didn't work very well. Uh, and now is huge and they're still working out the kinks. There were a couple times uh Cam Spencer like doubled down and the rotations were completely off and Butler picked it apart. But, you know, Butler's got some dudes. They, they have a, a very well oiled offense and that got exposed. And you can see again, like the, the benefits of being there live, you can see everyone get together after and say like, okay, no, like I need to come from this angle and then you need to shift over. And they did those adjustments in the second half. Um, and Castle pointed out to me, kind of called me out for it. And, and it makes some sense. He's like, it's not really small ball. Like he's every bit of six, six, uh, Alex Caravan is six, eight pushing six, nine. I I'd almost say, uh, and eh, maybe not, but, um, so like in everyone is long, like, you know, your side, your, 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 your height doesn't really matter if you have the length to switch one through five. And that's so far what they're doing. Um, and I think Castle's emergence as like the you know the the point of attack rebounder is so important because then they can just get in and go. You don't have to kind of wait for someone or wait for Klingon to get to get down the court. Um, and like you said, that's you know clearly that's what Hassan Diara is being instructed to do. He was just a, he 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 led the fa- break himself. He was a one man fast break for those two buckets that he had, and he was under control. And, and, you know, with like the quick little moves, I mean, Jesus, that is, that is a hell of a progression from the dude that we saw last year. So when you factor all those things in and then everyone talks about Alex Caravan being like, you know, the smartest player and high IQ and coach's son, you can see him like setting screens to his best abilities. You know, the small little things that are so important with small ball that like 
you know, he's rolling or picking or popping or, you know, flaring, but everything is getting fine tuned. And I think the coaching staff is figuring out the right pieces to put behind the caravan and castle pick and roll. I think they initially tried and to do it with Newton, but Newton doesn't have like the downhill attacking ability that castle has. And so once Castle has shown that ability and then he's like kind of patience to find the right guys and to get people into their spots, it's really starting to click. And again, it's not perfect. It's a work in progress. I'm super pumped to see it in some different situations because again, Butler, I think their Ken Palm bumped up, Ken Palm defense bumped up to like 126. It was like 107 before. They're not great defensively. It's they're they're a well you know, well-oiled offensive machine, but they don't really guard. So the next level is to see, like, how can they do this against some dudes with a little more defensive chops? Mm-hmm. So I'll just say, you know, to, to get my personal feelings about the small ball lineup out there, personally, like spiritually, I, I don't like it uh, as as a concept. However, uh, what hate, I do... You hate the little guy. I, I hate the little guy. I, I like tall guys only. I, I need it to be, I'm like those women on, on Tinder, you know, like six foot five or higher for me, frankly, uh, the the bigger, the better, but uh, no, I just think, you know, you, you gotta have, you want to have big men. You, you can't not play the game. And anyway, all that being, that's like my, my aside from what's happening right now, opinion on it. Uh, I think it's, it's ingenuity, you know, like they're, they're making the best of the situation and the talent they have on hand, obviously Klingon's hurt. They can't put him out there. So it's not like their plan was to be a small ball team. That's kind of what I'm saying. It's it's not like a foundational element of the strategy. That would upset me. You know, that that would uh that would be like uh yeah, that would upset me. I'm I'm happy we have Donovan Klingon and Samson Johnson and a bright future always of wanting to have good bigs, uh, because you need it to win in basketball because it's good to stop people from getting to the hoop. Uh, those are those are again personal feelings. So, um, but yeah, I, what I what I did really actually want to say though was just the to highlight yeah the emergence of Castle and Diara. Uh, both of them were uh, in in different ways, but Castle having missed early parts of the season and then uh, taking some time to find his right spot and right way in the lineup this recent emergence has been super, super exciting to see. I mean, I think the way you put it, Madigan, like being able to do a lot of the Andre Jackson things while also being a, a a real offensive threat. It's just incredible. It's, it's an incredible player to have. It's, it's what the vision was. Uh, So uh, it's, it's very, very exciting to see what uh, Castle already has developed into here in early January. Uh, And, uh, that much more exciting to think about what what he could be by by February March or early April. Yeah, I mean he kind of gets the Adama Sinogo treatment in this offense already. Like when he gets the ball and he's baseline extended or or like block extended, you can tell the offensive direction is to clear out and let him go to work. And like he's this he's that same type of player. Like he's just a monster one on one. Like he's not unstoppable like Adama Sinogo was last year. Um, but he's just so talented in that one-on-one game where it may not jive with the rest of the offense that Hurley kind of puts together, but you have to take advantage of those mismatches when you have a player like that. And 
I know I, I totally get your gripes with the small ball lineup I'm on, and I kind of agree with Patrick that it's not really that small, but it's really just Dan Hurley doing what he does well, which is catering to his team's strengths, and it's putting his five best players on the floor for longer than possible, uh, for as long as possible. Like, it doesn't make sense to, you know, have Caravan sit because Samson Johnson needs to play 25 minutes because he's the big man. Um it's so negligible. Basketball is so positionless already. Like, it's just smart. It seems obvious, but I, I'm not positive a ton of other coaches would be willing to go as all in at this point in the season on that. And uh, just catering to strengths and, and putting his players in the best position to succeed. It's the same thing that he did uh, offensively with Andre Jackson last year, moving him to that dunker spot along the baseline, right? Like, his ability to adjust on the fly, like mid-game, mid-season, is just unbelievable. And we're seeing him turn into, you know, a from a, a good coach to a really good one. And like maybe one of the best in the country uh, in terms of X's and O's. Um, the recruiting stuff seems to be picking up as well uh, based on this last recruiting class. So it's like having the best, you know, one of the best coaches in the country makes things so much easier. And it's the same luxuries that you kind of had with Jim Calhoun for so long. And it kind of seems like we're already getting to that point with Dan Hurley, which is really just unbelievable. Just uh, just one eye test observation when you know he comes out as like the last person after the team is warming up, I I don't know he's got like he's got a swagger to him now like a like a walk like a little bit of like he, you you can tell he really this sounds so dumb but like he really wanted a national championship like I think almost you know and he said as much that this validated himself. So now he's walking into every arena, knows that he's like I don't know, he has this swagger that like what he's doing is working and, and everything you said, Madigan, is true. Um did you all play Pokemon? Yeah. I mean every, everybody played Pokemon. Video game, yeah. Yeah, yeah. The the video game, not the not the card game, the video game. Stefan Castle is like the evolved version of Andre Jackson. He's just like the like the, the the final. Well, I guess the final form is a dude who hits like threes consistently. But like he's like the second level of like, oh wow, my Pokemon Carmelian. evolved. Yeah, there you go. Vermilion, um, last voice. Right, oh, exactly. Um, it's like it's like oh wow, this this guy's really good. He doesn't have any of the the weaknesses that this person had. And again, this is no knock on Andre Jackson, and that's like please don't say like I'm comparing Andre Jackson to a Charmander or or whatever. Um, but. Like it's just all of the skill sets that made Andre Jackson this enticing prospect. Um, let, let's not forget, like he he put it all together in the, the last half of his junior year. You know, he had so many frustrating moments as a freshman and as a sophomore, kind of figuring out how to harness all his tools. Stephon Castle is just like, yeah, I, I know what to do with all this. Like I, I can read an I can read an offense. I know, like he's never out of you know too fast, too slow. Um, his, his tempo and poise is always right there. Um, I, I don't love like his jump shot, but his one dribble pull up, he hit, I think he was one for two, maybe one for three, uh, yesterday that is smooth. And that is going to be the Andre Jackson defense buster when teams are just sagging off him. And you saw him a couple times, like two dribbles, like, okay, I think I'm going to do it. I think I'm going to do it. Boom. Done. And next thing you know, person's up on him. And then we can, you know, run the sets that Hurley has. Uh, and that is so important because Andre Jackson did not have that in his bag at all. I could talk about Castle forever. I, I'm just so impressed with him. Like, I, it's really unbelievable. And I know he was a top 10 recruiter or whatever. And he just 
has lived up to every expectation. And it's just the way that he fits not only with this offense, but with this team. Like if you didn't know who he was, you flipped on the game and uh, you know, you didn't see how big he was. I feel like you wouldn't even know that he was that type of prospect. I feel like you would think he was like the eighth or ninth guy off the bench. Like he's diving on the floor. He's crashing the boards. Like he hustles so hard. And, you know, I just don't think that's always the case with, with these type of recruits. Not like UConn has, has had a ton of them to be completely honest, but um, it's just such a great culture fit. I think Hurley got into that post game too. Like he is not only an incredibly talented player, but just the way that he fits into this offense and this team overall, it's like, I'm sure they UConn had an opportunity to get different players or better players, but the fit makes this work right away because there's a different picture where they have a, a better recruit um, or, or a better player from the transfer portal or whatever, but he doesn't necessarily mesh uh, the way that he does with this team. And uh, he's basically like plug and play. Like even from day one, he came into this offense and he's a little timid at times, but by the end of that Northern Arizona game, he looked like he'd been running sets with Cam Spencer, Tristan Newton, his entire life. So it's just really unbelievable. I, I, I think he's going to be an unbelievable NBA player. Um, I can't see, I know his lottery stock has dropped a little bit cause he's been injured, but have to imagine it's going to continue to rise rapidly as we get through Big East play. He's the type of dude who, like, he is a basketball player. He's not a dude, a guy who, like, in high school was like, oh, you're an athlete, you need to play basketball, you're more athletic than everybody, and then they round out their basketball skills. This was, like, a dude who's like, oh, no, you, you, you're a basketball player. You can, you know, do things that, regardless of your size, you know, that will always make you an effective player. Um, and, and I think that you have to give the coaching staff credit for finding a guy like that, as opposed to someone who, you know, is just a, you know, a really good scorer or something like he, he, he found a guy that happens to be a five-star talent at a little bit of everything, as opposed to a specialty player. We're like, Oh, we, we got some microwave scorer, you know, almost, well, I guess book night wasn't a five-star. So I guess that doesn't matter. But like, I was looking back of like, that was the most in-person, most impressive in-person performance I've seen from a freshman. Um, and it reminded me of like a little bit of like book nights coming out party against Xavier in Charleston, the double overtime loss. I think he had like 19 points, six rebounds. And you could see he was like a really good scorer and did things that no one else on the court could do, but he was not pulling down rebounds and initiating a break. He was not diving on the floor. Um, I mean, he was just a, you know, a, a, polished scorer for a freshman Steph Castle is like a polished player and he he's going to make some NBA team really happy yeah the the dude's a hooper uh and we also have mentioned this in the past but like when when Castle committed to UConn he wasn't a a a five-star you know top 10 whatever recruit he was he was a very highly rated recruit I think he was still like uh in maybe in the high 20s at the time that he committed but didn't he grow like an extra inch or two, I think, after the rankings came out? So he was like a legit 6'6", and that's what like yeah, pumped maybe, him up. Maybe he was growing a little bit, but I think it was like, you know, like one or two, like, uh, you know, EYBL performances, that kind of thing that really got him on the, that really pushed him higher. At any rate, I you know, my point just being like, I don't, I don't think Hurley went to like the top of the rankings, like, let's find a guy. But yeah, the points about finding fit are so important. We know what it takes to succeed at UConn, 
and not every five-star recruit who's trying to hang out in college for four months before they get drafted is really going to be about UConn and its system really on both sides, like offensively and defensively. Offensively, it's a complex offense. You have to be smart. You can't just you can't just run at it. You can't just take your specialty and just do your thing. And then defensively, you have to buy in. UConn's a, a school where you have to uh, play hard defensively. That's part of the part of a key part of the strategy. Uh, so I think it's uh, yeah a very good fit, and you don't always find five star recruits who want to do that. Uh, so yeah, huge. I don't know how many you know more of that t- caliber of recruit we will see Hurley going after, uh, because like we said, I do think they care more about fit and what you bring. Their last championship was one with. Andre Jackson, Adama Sonogo, and and Jordan Hawkins. You know, again, amazing players, but they saw something in them and believed in them. It was more than their ratings and rankings. So, um, yeah, it's just a it's just a good coincidence. But of course, yeah, just an absolute pleasure to see. And I would just also add, you know, going back to the coaching and just how they're doing a good job, uh, which we do need. You know, we do we should opine on a little bit longer. I think the the thing for me is that Hurley has found a way to marry his longtime approach, which has been that you're all about defense and rebounding and toughness and tough lead guards. He's he's found a way to marry that approach with also caring about the analytics and understanding and respecting it, not treating it as the end all be all, but understanding where it applies and is important. I think he thinks about rebounding percentage a ton. I think he's thinking about turnover percentage a ton and free throw rate, uh, all of these things and how crucial they are. And uh, it's, it's, and, and we've also covered how he's seen religion, you know, uh, as it relates to caring a little bit more about offensive skill and maybe some of the players he's brought in that maybe he would not have otherwise gone after in the past. So what we're seeing is that coaching style that was always something that made sense for him and attracted him at UConn uh, to UConn, uh, but also bringing that advanced analytic approach. And we are seeing the the fruits of that paying, paying off with last year's immensely successful team and, and this year's. Yeah. I won't, I won't lie. I think when, when they brought Hurley in, I was envisioning, you know, just basically like an elevated version of like the the Hurley teams from Rhode Island, where like they get a bunch of four stars. They're really, really tough defensively, but the games, you know, the offensive stuff is still going to be a slog. It's going to be a little bit of hero ball, and maybe we get another Shabazz Napier who you know can put the team on his back, another Kemba Walker who can put the team on his back. Um, <clears throat> and that's kind of what the the future that I was accepting because it was going to be a little bit of a return to the Jim Calhoun intensity era. I think that's all we wanted from Hurley was just to be intense and to recruit dudes who could be heroes, not like completely alter the offensive framework and be one of like the most aesthetically pleasing offenses in the country, essentially the new Villanova, but with like an edge to it. It, it, it's crazy how quickly that has changed. I remember watching Villanova and just being like, man, look at the way that ball moves. That's so sick. Like, and now it's like, that's us. We're, that's, that's, that's UConn right now. And like you said, this isn't just a one-off or like the product of an Andre Jackson, like in no disrespect to Andre, 
this isn't a product of one player. It's the this the system and culture that Hurley has implemented. I think he's also imbued by his assistants. We got to give Kamani Young and Luke Murray some credit and enjoy them while they're here because they are not going to be here long with the with the way this powerhouse has has become. Uh, I watched. I saw one moment. Uh, solo ball kind of struggled yesterday. It happens. He's a freshman. He's not going to light the world on fire every game. Uh, he got beat on a, on a slob and off of, off of a cut and Hurley pulled him real quick. Sidelines out of bounds play for anyone that's not attuned with the, the abbreviations and, and Hurley didn't handle him. Luke Murray didn't handle him, but Kamana Young sat him down and walked him through how to get around like a double pin down screen. And solo balls listening, you know, you can see the wheels turning of like, okay, like I can't try to fight it. I kind of have to realize and, and slide over and boom, it's there. It, it, it's just like, man, to have that from an assistant. And, you know, we saw what Kamani Young can do when, you know, thrust into the, the spotlight if Hurley loses his shit. Um, and then Luke Murray, what I think is the, like the analytical lead. Um, it's, it, it, it's the perfect storm of this, this, just this juggernaut, I think. That like even when those guys leave, as long as Hurley has like that same eye, um, there's not going to be much of a drop off. Yeah, it's an it's a really good point. I think about like yeah, of course we envisioned UConn being great again and getting back to the national championship and all of that stuff, but to do it with the most beautiful offense in the country, that's uh, an absolute dream. Like you're saying, that's something you could not have even imagined really happening at UConn. So uh, it is, it's incredible. It's incredible that UConn is that and uh, the the types of players that they're doing it with and have been able to bring in. And I think that's the, the very interesting part is that what the, what the future holds, because he still doesn't have a team, you know, kind of fully in his image uh, in the image that he was envisioning, especially when you consider since his offensive, you know, aha moment after losing the NCAA tournament game, to New Mexico State. So in in that sense, he's still kind of fine-tuning it, but uh it's it's very interesting to see where it will go. But it's it's remarkable to say at this point that the Dan Hurley era is going much better than expected. And I think, you know, we this is a a loaded team right now that will lose a lot of guys, whether it be the the seniors or people to the NBA. Um and you you got a little bit of glimpse of the talent that's waiting there. We need to talk about the Jalen Stewart eleven minutes because he he banged a three finally. Um, and I, I you know I think it's it, it's always fun to watch those freshmen when they're under the microscope of like all of his other threes. I remember the one like he was just given the ball with one second left on the shot clock and had to throw something up. So it's like okay, well that's an O for one. That's bullshit. Even Donnie Marshall, I think his what's what's his relation? I, I can't remember. I think, but guardian or, or something like that was like yeah that sucks like that's that's unfair and and that happened to him again another time earlier in the season where he's just kind of like throwing the ball with two seconds left on the clock and is expected to throw up a shot it's like oh he can't shoot he you know took that three in stride yesterday had a nice offensive rebound and again the presence of mind not to just oh throw it out and get it off my hands composed dribble nice spin move layup um, he had an off another offense or a defensive rebound where again, I think most freshmen would just like wait for everyone to go down the court, find your ball handler and go, but he turned 
straight to, to the court and found a streaking castle to start the break. I think Diara had a layup off of that. Um, that's an example of like little micro plays that, you know, those guys are ready. They are recruiting dudes. And and let me tell you, Jalen Stewart looks the part. I, I, I think he's going to be an absolute fucking stud. And I hope to God that he buys into the, the system and isn't, you know, stressing about the playing time and everything because he, he has in, just like, I hate, I don't want to use sneaky athleticism, but like you watching him in the warm up lines, like, God damn, he can get up it was so fluidly. And, you know, with the outside shot and his size, he, he's going to be an absolute nightmare. I can't wait to see him develop. Yeah, he's just so smooth. I, I really just am so impressed with him. Um, obviously, defensively, he had some miscues yesterday. I think that's kind of what's hampering the playing time right now. But I think he's really the key. If if something happens with Klingon, if he has to be out longer or, you know, God forbid he gets hurt again or, or whatever, I kind of think Jalen Stewart's the key for making the small ball thing work long-term, like sustainably. He's just a little longer than Alex Caravan. He's more athletic. Uh, I think he can defend, truly defend, like, all five positions um, once he kind of cleans his act up a little bit on the defensive end. And, um, yeah, I, I, him, solo ball, Steph Castle, they just don't look like freshmen. They, they you know, may not be super aggressive. They may not be uh, – they may look a little overwhelmed at times. But, like, some of the stuff that they're doing is just not – what we've seen UConn freshmen do ever. Um, and it's just really impressive to watch. But yeah, I, I think Stewart's going to be a huge asset to this team over the course of the stretch run. Um, I could see him spelling, you know, Samson Johnson caravan in that first, you know, true big off the bench uh, as the season progresses. I, I, I think he can do a lot of things for this team. And he's kind of someone that last year's team didn't really have. There wasn't really that big uh, wing off the bench that was able to to do a lot of stuff. Uh, because Caravan slid into the starting lineup. So um, the pieces are just so fun. It's, you know, obviously there's going to be a lot of turnover after this year. Um, Assuming probably keep the guys together and and out of the portal, there's still a lot to be excited about for for years to come. It's just a really fun young core uh, that he'll get to build off of. And there's there's two recent examples of like very, very talented dudes who went on to do great things. And Andre Jackson and Jordan Hawkins really weren't much of like impact players as freshmen. Um, they were like, you know, you could see their potential. He's like, okay, I, I see how that fits. And they took a huge leap their sophomore year. So I think the best hope is that like Stewart continues to get um, those minutes and just kind of like, you know, he may not be fully in tune with like the defensive rotations, but showing enough of like, okay, go score and go get a bucket and we'll work with you and we'll kind of build an offense. I remember Hurley had some quote about uh Yusuf Singar about like, yeah, like we, we, we didn't really have any sets designed for him and a bunch of people like on Twitter, were like, Oh, what does that mean? Like, how, how do you not have sets designed for your backup center? It's like, no, when you run an offense as complex as this, he was probably just brought out there to say like, you know, go take up space crash the glass and, you know, maybe use a couple fouls. Uh, and that's probably like the same, you know, they, they're not designing plays for Jalen Stewart as a freshman. He's just going to kind of get opportunistic buckets. And I think it's kind of the same with solo ball. I think back to his Texas game when his, a lot of his points were just a threes or put back dunks. Then, so like, but then you, I trust this coaching staff to like with an off season of like solo ball and Jalen Stewart, you are now going to have plays designed for you. 
I, one, that's going to keep someone there to say like the coach is like, okay, now like we're building the offense around you. And two, I trust the, you know, the scouting of those guys to be like, yeah, they're going to be, they're going to take steps. It's like, where'd they come from? Like, no, they were there. They just didn't have plays designed for them. I, I love what we've seen from solo ball so far, uh, in addition to Jalen Stewart. And I think, you know, the freshman class, when we think about going forward, you know, Castle obviously planning to potentially leave soon. You've also got Singar, you know, it's, it's a good crew. And just thinking about next year, we'll add the potential for Samson Johnson to stay as well. But we don't want to think too, too much about next year. We will stay mostly in the present. <clears throat> uh, with that in mind, some scores around the Big East. Yeah, I was just going to say that. You got some trouble brewing over here. We've got we've got all kinds of trouble brewing, folks. So on Tuesday night, which was when UConn returned to action, we saw... Creighton beat Georgetown 77-60, and we saw St. John's host this very Butler team and beat them 86-70. I think Creighton-Georgetown, that's kind of what what you would expect to happen. St. John's, uh, are we we interested, threatened, uh, feeling anything about this this St. John's emergence? I know UConn beat them two games ago, three games ago, whenever that was, but... Uh, how how are we feeling about how St. John's has looked uh, in its most recent win? For me, it all depends on when Klingon comes back. So UConn's not playing St. John's until February. Theoretically, Klingon should be back by then. Um, I know they just beat them uh, without him, but I'm still scared of Joel Soriano. I have a lot of respect for his game. I, I think he's a monster, and I think he's probably the most underrated big man in this conference and I just would not want to have to deal with him at their, you know, a neutral court, I'll say MSG um, and, and have to deal with that. I, I know, I think UConn got away with one. I think it was a good win given the circumstances on uh, December 23rd, but I'm not going to count out Rick Pitino. He's a darn good basketball coach. And I know that, there's enough talent on that team for them to be just an absolute menace uh, down the stretch in the Big East tournament uh, and probably play spoiler for some team that uh, should probably beat them. I'm more scared about Seton Hall. and I'm currently monitoring um, their... Oh, well, I guess it's... They're, 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 they're fighting with Marquette right now. They're up by as much as six early and they're up by three at last check. Um, you know, one shout out Bryce Hopkins, uh, going down in that, uh, Seton Hall game. That's, that's a tough, tough scene. Really feel, you know, that not, in all serious, like I, I, I'm being serious. That sucks for Providence fans. Uh, he, he was a, an incredible talent and seemed like a great dude. Um, but Seton Hall was able to run, a, you know, kind of steal that game at the dunk or whatever the hell they call it. I don't know. Um, I think that validated a lot of what Shaheen Holloway was doing, regardless of the injury. Uh, they seem to be, I think, kind of right. You know, I don't think that loss is going to be like a, oh, God, we got blown out by Seton Hall at home, losing your starting center in the second half. That's not going to be a bad loss um, with the way I think that team is figuring it out. Uh, Betty Ako, I think, is like a really tough rim protector. We've already talked about Kadari Richmond enough. Uh, and then when you add in like Dawes and a day with Sue who can like get hot at any time, 
Uh, Dre Davis is kind of coming into his own. I think that's going to be a really dangerous team. And I also think it's just really funny that like all of the Rick Pitino bluster and I'm always going to kind of have a little soundbite, blah, blah, blah. And I always have to kind of create some drama about my team, about why we're not performing and something like that. And Shaheen Holloway and Seton Hall quietly over there in New Jersey is like building, I think, something like a better roster, at least for the current season. Yeah, interesting about Seton Hall. I mean, I think it would be, uh, yeah, good good for the resume if they turn out to have a better than expected season, obviously, just thinking internally and selfishly. As it relates to St. John's, there was a small amount of manufactured drama also this past week that I'd like to address uh, and specifically address that by saying to UConn fans to not take the bait. Come on. Rick, Rick Pitino is... A, a very good basketball coach right now. He's in his carnival Barker phase, uh, which is those first two years in a new program. And you're just trying to build excitement. You're going to take shots at people. Look, Hurley did the same thing. Hurley did the same thing. The great Bob Diaco did the same thing. It's, it's a tried and true tradition, but that does not mean that we UConn fans must give any attention to it. I swear somebody has given him the metrics. They go, Rick, you know, UConn fans, they're crazy. They're rabid on Twitter. You say something silly, reference UConn, it'll go crazy. It'll travel online. It'll go bonkers. And he goes, oh, you're telling me quote tweets? You got you got quote tweet numbers like that? I'm going to go chide the UConn fan base. Beautiful. I, I got nothing going on right now. I, I, can't, I can't sell 100 tickets to Karnaseka Arena on campus. I can't get a single student to go to any of these games. So I'm going to take a shot at UConn. I'm going to get the lamestream media to believe that this is some sort of bad blood brewing in the Big East. <laughs> it's early January. Dan Hurley responded to a to a you know a complete flare with just I'm focused on the next opponent, and they're like, oh, Hurley clapping back. Hurley didn't clap back. Hurley said, I'm focused on the game. I've got a national championship, reigning national champion. I'm trying to go for a repeat. And I'm focused on DePaul or whatever the next game was. There's no bad, I mean, there's no more or less bad blood because Rick Pitino made some offhand comment about next year's UConn at St. John's game that, ha- that yeah, Hurley's sitting there stewing mad about something Rick Pitino said. Manufactured drama. I will not have any of it. Patino knows the Petuitos will have his back too. That's something, you know, you can be a little more aggressive out there when you have a, a legion uh, supporting you. But the other thing I just want to say, I, and we have to address it, is UConn played at St. John's last year, and I was at that game. It was a UConn, it was a UConn home game. It was yeah, he's insane. right. Like, it's like he's right about that. But, and the athletic director, uh, St. John's, whoever his name is, we can look at you, you can Google it. He lost his mind, sent an email out to all the donors. He said, we will be playing. It, it was immediately after, like an hour after, he said, we will be playing UConn at Carnesaca Arena going forward. So that should have been this year. Fast forward, UConn wins the national championship. They sign Rick Patino. Patino says, I want to play. We're playing every game at Madison Square Garden going forward. And it's just so funny to see how fast all that has changed. It is mad again. Reality has stepped in. And he's seeing the numbers. He's seeing uh, Jared Kotler 
filling up sections of Madison Square Garden and the St. John's box office reaching out to him to to sell to move more tickets. Um and shout out Jared. Shout I, out Jared for that. Yeah, shout out to Jared. I mean I'm I, I'm not I'm not even joking. I'm positive Patino is aware of that and I'm sure that's some of what's leading up to all this. And it's just hilarious. I I mean it would be really funny if if St. John's plays UConn is at Karnaseka Arena over MSG because they're passing up thousands of dollars to it's like a cell phone like it's just unbelievable so I honestly hope it happens I'll do my best to get out there and see that game or cover that game because I think it'll just be hilarious so I hope it happens honestly I hope they or they play at like um somewhere in Newark or they play at that uh St. John's is playing at the U.S. Open Tennis Arena. They should play there too. Like just just play in random places, um, so they don't play at MSG. Play on, I think that's the funniest outcome. Hard top courts across Queens. Just find, yeah. find some. Just play. Play them in Rucker. Yeah. Well, I, either way, yeah. I mean, I think all of that. What you have said is valid, and and that is great. Again, there's no bad blood with Dan Hurley and Rick Pitino because Rick Pitino in a rando interview on. Again, December twenty eighth or whenever the hell that was, said some. It, Dan Hurley, you know, went about the rest of his day. I, I don't think he thought for two seconds about that comment, uh, and responded accordingly. So I just resist this idea of bad blood brewing and the Big East being back it, as if it already wasn't. Uh, you know, it, it was back when all this coaching movement happened in the off season. It was back when. Well, we left Providence to go to Georgetown. Like this isn't the AAC. We don't have to make up drama. Like th- yeah. there, there is so there so many storylines that that it just takes two seconds to Google. Like wow, that's a really yeah. interesting game. Cool. Um, no, I think I I think the three of us really need to stand up to some of the takes that are going around on the internet and start holding. Some, you know, twenty twenty four should be the year of accountability. Yeah. Um, we got to start holding some people's feet to the fire here on a lot of this. Not enough to stay silent. It's not enough to just say I will not engage with this horrific take. If it's you see time, something, say something. Yeah, it's yeah. time to now say something. And you know, this also includes any local newspaper columnists who write anything. They are specifically trying to get a rise out of you. They want your quote tweets. They want your hate tweets. Again, I have said this. It's the pea guacamole recipe. They love it. They love the pea guacamole recipe at the New York Times because you will quote tweet it with hate and it's the same to them. These psychopaths, all they care about is the quote tweets. Rick Pitino, uh, the lamestream media, that's all they care about. And uh, we're here to talk about ball. We're here to talk about the fellas and, and women and other people who make the ball happen. And uh, that's what we're about here at the fast break. We're here to talk about Cam Spencer's golf game. Oh my goodness! Yeah, you actually did some reporting on that, Patrick. So why don't you? Why don't we go ahead and talk about this? So you know, we've talked about Cam Spencer, his his competitive spirit. There was uh, a little bit of information coming out from Donnie Marshall that Cam Spencer, fairly good golfer, and to nobody's surprise, fairly proficient trash talker on the links as well. Patrick, what did you learn? Well, I think Donnie Marshall said he was like a three or a four handicap, which for non-golf sickos is really, really fucking good. Like you're, you know, zero is a scratch golfer. So do the math. Um, and so to hear that he was like a four, adding into the fact that he was like this incredible lacrosse player and obviously like in, in probably maybe an all big East performer at this point, 
just, you know, added to the growing legend, especially because like golf is a game that you kind of like to be really good at, you have to put in the time. So it's like, you're either a freak athlete or you're putting in the time either way, either whatever Avenue Spencer has taken that just adds to his legend. And so I was like, we, we got to get to the bottom of this. So they brought him out uh, last and, you know, they had, everyone had one. So the spirits were high. I didn't want to like ruffle any feathers with, you know, the wrong timed question. And, you know, I'm doing the video and everything and it's done. And I have like a, um, a rowback like golf hoodie on. And I just kind of like hit, you know, hit stop off the record. I'm like, Hey man, like, are you, are you a three handicap? And no idea how this was going to go. I, I, you know, he, I honestly thought like Donnie Marshall was just like making that up or not like, or just like, but like being like, oh yeah, he looks like a three handicapper or something like that. Like Cam Spencer could have been like, what the fuck are you talking about? And he goes, you know, paraphrasing like, nah, fuck man. I'm like a six now or something like it fucking, like I fucking suck right now. Yeah. (laughs) Like in the way of his golf game. (laughs) And again, mad at himself. Same dude who was like, you know, unconsolable after losing the three point competition at first night. And I'm like, oh, but like you do play a lot. Cause like, and I said, we've been wondering, like, we're trying to find your, your, your handicap index and everything. He was like, oh, yeah, no, like I'm just, I haven't played a lot. So like I'm up to a six now, which is like, I'm, I'm trying to think of a comparison, but it's like, yeah, like I, you know, my great my grades really fell off. I'm I'm like I'm getting B pluses now and A minuses instead of straight A's or something like that. Like it's like, oh like yeah, bomb. I'm I'm a six now. And yeah. he and he shouted out the, the hoodie after that. It's like, oh yeah, sick hoodie. Uh so Cam Spencer, man of the people, six handicap. Um like Madigan said, we need to know what's in the bag now. We need to maybe get a little charity golf going in the off season. I mean, the opportunities are endless here, but yeah, yeah got to get some, get some top golf going with Cam Spencer. Yeah, got to tee yeah. up with Cam here in the future. Stories. And it's then- a family of athletes. You know, his brother is basically like the greatest college lacrosse lacro- lacro- player of all time. Uh, he's playing in the G League now. Um, after he had a year of basketball at Northwestern, uh, heck of a player. Yeah, just crazy. Um, yeah, it's yeah. it's uh it's pretty fun to watch him do his stuff. I I really liked having him on the team. I feel like he's another great culture fit um just a really really fun player yeah i think like the set the saddest thing about this season is that like the three most and again no disrespect to anyone else but like the three most like fascinating people to follow steph castle cam spencer and donovan Klingon, and then when you factor interest in newton as well uh like they're all gone after this year most likely so it's like man really you know fans really enjoy instead of getting caught up with like the latest rick patino fart um, like just, you know, learn about these players and kind of yes. you know, do deep dives. And, and we're going to give you that content over here at the fast break, uh, because these guys are great, like great ambassadors to the program. Um, and just like interesting dudes, like they're not just basketball players and well, they're, but they're really fucking good basketball players that like have a lot of personality. And I think we're taking that for granted. And like a lot of times you just have dudes that like, Oh yeah, I just, you know, kind of want to, play for my teammates, you know, stock answers that they're giving thoughtful answers to the media. They're absolutely killing people on the court uh, in their, their, their great interviews. Yeah. I think that's the next step. I, I was thinking about that, Patrick, um, you know, Amon, you were saying top golf. I say, if Dave Benedict, I'm sure you're listening. UConn plus nine holes, Cam Spencer, Ray Allen. Oh, 
Play at Lake Isles over Foxwoods. Just mic them up. Little, little match. I would I would tune in for that. I think I think UConn Plus needs some more content. I feel like that's that's can something. You imagine that, how can you imagine how shook Ray Allen would be to have like Cam Spencer talking shit to you. Yeah, like, the greatest NBA shooter of all time, and he's probably just being like, "Oh man, probably probably shouldn't three putt that like that." I don't know. Like I would need it uncensored as well for obvious reasons. Yeah, a hundred percent. Then maybe a game of horse after as well. Uh, what what I want to know about Cam is what else he's good at. You know, because again, this this psychotic level of competitiveness it can't merely be contained to no, but like basketball you, and golf. We're gonna have to rely on outside sources because if you asked him, like, "Hey, man, any secret talents?" No, nah, I suck at everything. I'm terrible. <laughs> yeah, I'm horrible. Like, I, I'm fucking terrible at beer pong. Meanwhile, he probably has some like record at like Rutgers or Loyal Maryland or something I, I like that. I think he's really good at I, I have a, I have a feeling he's really good at beer pong actually. I think and any game like, of any game of yeah, skill or chance. Yeah, I'm saying pool and darts. Those are my my two other guesses for things that Cam Spencer might be good at. Uh maybe a list, maybe a list to build a top a top 5 to rotate and update on a weekly basis, but uh I I do think there's a larger list of things that he's he is really good at and and probably does get psychotically competitive about maybe hungry hungry hippos uh something like that i I could see him having a a real strategy in hungry hungry hippos potentially and also getting very mad after losing uh so uh in our final uh just around the big east score i wanted to go over villanova 66 xavier 65 i wanted to bring this one up for a couple of reasons it was a wednesday night result one, UConn is playing Xavier next on Wednesday, January 10th, 8.30 p.m. And also because Villanova, we've been hovering around this possibility that the Wildcats may be better than expected. They had some weird losses then at the end of November, beginning of December, to then maybe make us reconsider that reconsideration. And now maybe are they good again? They just beat Xavier. They beat Creighton in overtime to kick off Big East play. What are you guys thinking and feeling about Villanova? Uh, just for just for uh, oops, your info, UConn's next game against them will be on January twentieth on the road. So coming up, how are we feeling about Villanova? I, I think I haven't without watching in depth. I think Neptune is starting to realize that. He, maybe things might be overcomplicated or he's, you know, kind of not pushing the right buttons. And I think he's just kind of like stepping back and letting a very talented roster take over. Uh, even more impressive was that I think two of those games, maybe more than that are without Justin Moore, uh, you know, who I think is like still kind of like not fully recovered uh, from his injuries. Um, I mean, yeah. Uh, Hakeem Hart is really kind of like establishing himself as like the, um, Max Prosper of Marquette last year was like, he'll guard all one through five. He's like the hustle player. He'll shut you down. He'll make these effort plays. And I think that's something Villanova had been lacking. It's like a, a dude who can like get in the mud with you. And when you add in the fact that like Eric Dixon is a nightmare, um, you know, everything Madigan thinks about Soriano, I think about Eric Dixon as far as like, dude, that, that guy can freaking play. Um, and he's a matchup nightmare for exactly what, you know, UConn, you know, has brought out with like, he, he took, he took Sonogo's lunch the first two years. 
So it's a talented roster. And I'm also not fully buying Xavier stock yet. So I think that's kind of like, you know, the, the, the Villanova is the type of team that like, you know, any given night, if they're on, they're going to be dangerous, but they're not going to be some, I think, wagon that imposes their will on a team. And Xavier, I just think just doesn't have the juice this year. Um, again, could be proven her- horrifically wrong uh, Wednesday at 830 because, you know, Sintas can get pretty rowdy. Um, but it, I think it's something to monitor as far as Villanova. You know, you don't, you don't want to kind of jump in yet, but if they string a couple more results together, there there could be some momentum. Yeah, that's that's kind of how I feel, Patrick. Xavier doesn't really do it for me this year. Um, I liked them a lot last year with, with Nunji and, and Fremantle healthy, but um, the Sinta Center is brutal. It's just really hard to play. Like, it's just an absolute madhouse every time UConn plays there. So not going to rule out a UConn loss uh, tomorrow or on Wednesday, especially I mean, if they play Xavier, like they did. Xavier fans have, like, they have this obsession with UConn. Yeah. It's, it's, it's wild. It's weird. You, you know, Butler fans were, were so nice and like, like, oh yeah, like you guys are really good. I hope we give you a game. And I, I don't sense that in any road environments like Marquette or the closest thing I can think is Providence, but that like, that's an actual rivalry. That's a regional rivalry. I understand that. Like they fucking hate UConn. And it, it, it's shown in like the aggression with which like the, you know, that fan. And, and again, that's awesome. Like we, uh, you want that in a road environment. Um, and there's a, you know, when you want to talk road whistles, I'm, I don't really like to subscribe to that newsletter, but if there is a place it's in the Cintas center, there are, have been some ridiculous whistles that I've seen. I think I've been to a Xavier game every year since I've lived in Cincinnati um so that that's going to be a tough game because it's going to be six on five for a lot of portions um but yeah not bought not buying xavier as a team fluffers i do like villanova though i i love eric dixon he's you know he kind of fits that mold where if Klingon isn't back he's he's better than uh telfort on butler and kadari richmond but he's that same mold super quick six seven six eight six nine strong very muscular inside outside game have to respect, um, you know, his ability to step out, but he can break you down off the dribble. Um, Caravan's made a ton of strides as a as a defender. I hate being on this corner, but he's he's still limited. That's just a it's just a huge matchup problem for UConn, and um, having a guy like that, it's very hard to find. First off, but that's a hundred percent the key to being to beating UConn. Um, Indiana Malik Renault, uh torched Caravan in that Indiana game. And Mike Woodson just decided to stop coaching. And for whatever reason, that game got away from Indiana. But um, there are teams that have pieces like that that can be a real problem. Um, If Klingon's back, that will negate a lot of that. But that's something that I'm keeping an eye on because um, that's like red round when Klingon would be back for that Villanova game. I believe it's January 20th or or 19th. Um, And it's just going to be a battle. The Villanova's tough. Wells Fargo Center's tough arena. Um, That'll be a really fun game, but another tough matchup for Caravan defensively. Yeah, and just just running through the schedule and to talk about that, the Klingon timeline. So, yeah, Wednesday the 10th, they're at Xavier. On the 14th, Sunday, they will host Georgetown. They uh, may get Creighton back for that, or sorry, get Creighton back, get Klingon back for that Creighton game Wednesday, January 17th. 
that game obviously potentially will be a big one. Creighton is the other team expected to be kind of good in the Big East. We will see about that. Uh, is that home or away? Once they meet UConn. That game, the January 17th game is home against Creighton. At Gamble, I too. I, mm-hmm. I, don't, I don't need to see Klingon back for that yet. Don't Let's not okay. push this. And so then I, the I next one is the road game at Villanova. I kind of think if he doesn't play for the Creighton game, I, you know, I'm not a doctor, don't know how Klingon's recovering, but just looking at the schedule and how it falls here, if he doesn't come back for that Creighton game, I don't think he'll come back until the Xavier game just because they get an extra week, yeah. uh, eight days of rest. Um, and yeah, I, I think it's, you know, lose the battle, win the war situation where tough matchup for Caravan, everyone else guarding Kalkbrenner, who gets a lot of flack, still an objectively good basketball player um, and, and a huge matchup problem for UConn without Klingon. Um, I, I, I don't just trying to get I, ready for the stretch run. I just, I'm not seeing Creighton this year. I, I think like the Nembart to Ashworth is a downgrade. Shireman, like you know what he can do at this point. Um, but shit, I, I'd stick Castle on him and see what happens. Trey Alexander can hoop, but um, so, yeah, I mean, they're, I don't know. I think uh, if that game was away, it's like, yeah, let's see what Cle- what Klingon can do maybe in like kind of like that reserve role last year. But um, yeah, I don't know. I don't, I don't need to see that. I think you would almost kind of like, let's see what this team can do at home against like probably like the third best team in, in the Big East without Klingon. And then we can kind of like set our sights on February and March. But again, that's again, without any medical expertise and just kind of like, you always want to veer on the side of, of caution with, you know, two foot injuries in three months. And this dude's about to be picked in June. And he's a seven footer, you know, it's uh yeah. Uh, yeah, I, I totally agree. Err on the side of caution there, but yeah, that, that is the timeline in terms of what we have been told, uh, and all indications from what we have seen from him, uh, including getting out there and putting up some shots, uh, during warmups. It looks like he's progressing nicely, but yes, I, I still would agree to, uh, that, that they'll probably want to err on the side of caution, not a doctor. Uh, and then finally, I guess we should do our Marquette checkup. How are, how are we thinking about Marquette? They opened conference play with a loss and uh, dropped a little bit in Ken Palm as a result. They're down to 12. They lost to Providence. Um, I know Providence obviously not as strong now as they were then, but as it relates to Marquette, do we still think, you know, still still pretty much where we thought they were or what? Well, for one, I'm glad the Tyler Kolick, like player of the year, oh my God, everything he does is amazing. Um, narrative has, has settled down a little bit. Great player, you know, all Big East talent for sure, but like the national player of the year shit, like, come on, let's pump the brakes here. I would take Tristan Newton 10 times out of 10 without UConn, you know, tinted glasses even. Um, I haven't seen as much, but I think what like the narrative with them was that like, they don't really have like a dude who can go get you a bucket and like the Stevie Mitchell, like Chase Ross guys were like supposed to take the next step in their development. And they really haven't. So it's like, it's kind of like all on Kolek and Cam Jones and uh, Iguodaro to kind of generate your offense. And most of the times that works, but like, again, hard to win on the road in the big East. And it hasn't been this like fine-tuned machine. I also saw some takes that make some sense where like they're so 
much, you know, Shaka Smart is so much, well, one when he's defending on the court, um, but he, all gas, no breaks, all the time, go, 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 all this intensity, that's really hard to do for 40 minutes. Like, you actually need to, like, almost, like, pace yourself a little bit and kind of, like, pick your moments and rely on momentum. And I, I've heard people say basketball is this game of runs or something like that. Um, and it's like, you know, you can't be balls to the wall all the time because then you, you're going to run out of gas. You can kind of almost see it. It's like, man, this just the, the relentlessness kind of wears out. And when you don't have the talent around to kind of like, you know, go get yourself a bucket. I think that's when it's like, okay, they're a really good team, top 15 maybe, but they're not going to be like a top five team in the country perhaps. Yeah. I, I mean, I feel like Marquette kind of had a tough stretch there. They they didn't play well against St. Thomas. I caught like bits and pieces of that game and like St. Thomas isn't anything special, um, but they just kind of like never put them away and, you know, big game for St. Thomas and they kind of stuck around and then they got the doors blown off at Providence. Um, the dunk or Patrick, whatever you said, whatever it's called now, just a tough place to play. Um, I, I don't know. I didn't put a ton into that. I, I think they're a really talented team. I think they match up really well against UConn. Um, and, you know, I'm excited to see them play, but I'm not like, I, I, I still don't think UConn is the team to beat in the Big East. I still think it's kind of Marquette's um, conference until UConn goes and takes it. That's that's a fair point. I'm, I'm just, I'm not envious. Like when I watch Marquette play, I don't see like, man, like I wish UConn would do some of this. Like I'm happy with like the personnel that that's there and, you know, probably will be like a split, uh, you know, home and away with those two, you know, both, you know, very close games and then, you know, kind of coming down in March. But I, I just see a little bit more of an edge as far as like one through seven, um, like talent in depth of like, you know, who, who guards Steph, Steph Castle for them. Okay. If you, you put Cam Jones on him and we're getting real deep into the analytical weeds here, but then like, you know, Tristan Newton could, you know, wake up and say like, all right, I'm going to get a triple double today. Uh, always got to account for cams. So, you know, there, there's just so many weapons. And then when you assume Klingon will be back and hopefully knock on wood healthy in March, uh, you have the rim protection that he offers uh, a Samson Johnson, who is now a seasoned, you know, bench player, um, Hassan Diara in control. I, I just think all the levers will be pushed and that team can, you know, they can, they can get by Marquette. But like you said, you know, can't, can't talk shit until they actually do it. And right now Marquette's the champs. So you got to give them their flowers. Definitely fair. We shall see, but it won't be for a while. The first game against Marquette is February 17th. That's a Saturday. That'll be at home. And then the return visit in Wisconsin will be Wednesday, March 6th. I imagine uh, very likely some top of the Big East standings, some portion of the top of the Big East standings will be figured out on that day. I will say one other thing about the Big East schedule is that we do notice UConn is getting everyone's just absolute best shot. You know, like for even you think about like this game for Butler – uh, January 5th on the calendar for Butler hosting the reigning national champs at home. The team they're having this year, that's their biggest game of the season. Uh, it's, it, it really is. And uh, it was the case for Seton Hall, same thing, hosting them. And I think it's just something that UConn's going to see, you know, obviously you have that target on your back, but you have it twice when you do it in the big East and you have it with a little bit of an extra edge when you uh, 
don't win the league and claim supremacy and all of that kind of conversation or whatever. Not bringing that up, but just saying. And uh, also just like yeah. the Hurley's antics, not antics, because again, um, you know, we love him, but it's like it's the Marcus Smart effect of like when he's on your team, you love it. But God, I can't imagine how that would be when he's just he was on those refs nonstop um, yesterday and opposing fan bases that, that just got to rub them the wrong way. So it's like, oh, like you really want to beat that fucker type yeah. of energy. So there's a lot, you know, there's a lot kind of like, uh, you know, a lot of reasons to to dislike and be angry. But we're getting you getting every team's best shot. Going through the Big East schedule. Next up, Huskies at Xavier. We will have coverage on the UConn Fast Break and continuing the Fast Break podcast on a regular basis now that we're in the meat of Big East play. So thank you all for listening, and we look forward to coming back again soon.